It's all about serving. It's about helping someone to achieve the transformation that they want to and giving them the courage and confidence to say yes in moving forward. That's all that it is. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. It is so great to have you here. I'd like to say that you are welcome to this weekly dose of both business savvy and emotional intelligence. And I feel like my role here is to help you master your mindset, dominate your fears, unleash your amazing, and live your most effective self. This week, I am getting all geared up, Heading up to Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City, for a, an event called Podcast Movement. Um, when this airs, um, that will have already transpired. But my hope is that in addition to hanging out with other podcasters, just like myself, it's such a great opportunity for networking and connecting, finding like-minded people, in addition to challenging my own efforts. And um, it's one of the things that I'm always encouraging you to do is to get out, to go and connect with people, to stretch your mind, your thinking, your capacity, and in addition, building deep and wonderful relationships. So I'm really looking forward to meeting some of not only the people that I've interacted with online, but also some of my heroes, some of the people that I've listened to and have learned from. They'll be speaking, they'll be in attendance. In addition, I have the privilege to be speaking on the first day. There's a kind of like a TED X talk where there's 15 minutes for you to kind of bring it. And uh, I get to do that on the first day. So I'm really uh, humbled to be a part of that. In addition, excited to showcase my gift. And that is to serve people, to offer them value and to inspire. Because that's what I do. And that's what I'm about. So today, we're going to talk to someone else who's also just an awesome inspiration. Uh, She was a former NFL cheerleader turned Fortune 500 executive, and she now hosts the top-rated Unstoppable Success Radio podcast. She's an international best-selling author of the book Unstoppable, which I think uh, you're really going to enjoy that book. And she's also the CEO of her own coaching company. We're speaking today with Kelly Roach, and I know you're going to love it. So let's just jump right into that interview right now. You're listening to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. I am here today with Kelly Roach. Kelly, how in the world are you today and what are you doing when the weekend starts? Oh, man. Well, I am so excited to be here. So first of all, thanks for having me on this show, Angus. And uh, you know what? I am going to go just chillax with my husband and my daughter, maybe go grab some dinner, sit outside, have a glass of wine. I'm ready to rock. Fantastic. And so with uh, your child, uh, is that's a little girl. Is she two? 
That's Madison. Yep, Madison Ray. And she is two years and two months. So I did my homework. So, you know, I told you I was creeping on you. Um, what's it like having uh, a two-year-old? Um, well, basically, my house is a three-ring circus at all times because we also have two dogs, Sadie and Macy. So typically, at any given time, someone's screaming, um, a dog's barking, something crazy is always going on. But uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's very busy. Very, very, very busy. And do you work from home or do you have a, an office outside the house? No, I work from home and I love, love, love working from home because I can pop downstairs and see my daughter at any time and I can take breaks between calls and, you know, see the hobby and it's, it's nice. It's good. That's fantastic. So I, I don't know if you know this, but I was a stay at home dad for about four years. Oh, I didn't know that. I had two toddlers. So I have three kids all together. My oldest now is 21. And then I have a seven and a six-year-old. So I had um, the second in, in that line, uh, Scarlett. She uh, was born. And then four months later, we found out we were pregnant. And, oh, my goodness uh, gracious. Yeah. So in 14 months, we had two kids. And I was home taking care of both those little toddlers. And it showed me so much about myself. It revealed some of my own, I mean, everything from insecurities and mindsets to ego, you know, because I was home and I was trying to do a business, but really, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm just, watch this, I'm just a stay-at-home dad. Oh, no. Right? And that's the hardest job in the world. That's I the hardest job in the world. I ran that sucker like a business. I knew that there are certain things that have to be done at certain times or all the wheels come off the bus. I knew when laundry mm -hmm. had its open windows. I knew when to start cooking. I knew when things need to be fed. Uh, things, the children. Um, so it's interesting because you take your own skill sets and the gifts that we have. And when you're up against something that scares the you know, spit out of you, how you can take those skills and implement it as something and make it work. So true. And so true. I use it as a metaphor because that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about building businesses. And Kelly, that's something you've done for some time. Um, but I want to back up before we get to that and talk about another child. And that's you, Kelly. Can you tell us if you'd be open enough to share a little bit about your childhood and how you were raised? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I came from a big family, five kids in my family. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, my dad was very religious. He was always um, very into working for nonprofits and, you know, more focused kind of on the church than on making a lot of money, which was great. But with five kids in the family um, and my mom being home, it definitely posed an interesting situation as far as our uh, finances. You might put it that way. Um, so so, you know, big family, not a lot of money, um, lots of struggle around money, lots of stress around money, lots of fights around money. And so, you know, for me, definitely uh, had to make a choice, you know, really early in my life about kind of what I wanted to create and what I wanted my life to look like and you know, I heard no a lot and I didn't like that. Um, I heard no, we can't afford it. Probably Do we ever more, like that? Right. And, and I really didn't like that. And so I think that was a huge driving factor in, you know, my success in my career and, you know, going on to build my own business and then focusing my whole business on helping other people to achieve financial freedom. Um, because, you know, of the situation that I came from and just, you know, wanting to show people what opportunity, you know, is out there for all of us and what life can be like if you're willing to put in the work. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
in your book, you you say it in some different words, but it's something that I I wholeheartedly believe in, and that is, you know, we can either make decisions to move toward the things we want, or we can make decisions to try and move away from things we don't want. Right, right. And one comes out of a place of abundance and the other out of a place of fear. And whichever one you focus on the most is the one that's going to be the one that grows. And you had that little mishap with a red station wagon. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, that red station wagon. That thing haunted me. Yeah. So, I mean, I just did such a good job of attracting this ugly red station wagon because I was so um, hellbent on not driving a station wagon because I was so embarrassed because we had this huge, we had the biggest station wagon on the market. Right. Like literally the biggest station wagon that was ever produced. Like we had that. Uh, complete did it, did it with, have the fold in back seat? Oh, yes. Fold in go. back seat, wood paneling, the entire thing. It was so embarrassing. And so I was just like, you know, I'm not going to drive a station wagon. I'm not going to drive a station wagon. I'm not going to drive a station wagon. And then I it was, you know, I, I went to get my first car and literally the only thing I could afford that was available was you, you guessed it, a station wagon, of course. And so we move from that level of uh, growing up, you get up into college and you get into, of all things, dance, uh, which actually started before college. And then um, the dance turned into cheerleading. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that all transpire? Yeah, definitely. So I cheered, you know, competitively, you know, from sixth grade on. And then, you know, I started uh, dancing competitively when I was in grade school and did it all through high school. And then, you know, when I went to college, I basically I was accepted to a ton of different schools, but I ended up choosing um, a local university. And, and I selected the school that I went to based on what was, you know, most affordable because I didn't want to get into a lot of debt. Um, and so it just so happened that that their dance team, their cheerleading team um, was not, you know, not competitive, not competitive at the level that, you know, I would have been at. And so I just wanted to keep performing. I just loved it so much. And I loved, you know, I loved the exercise and I love being on a team and I love performing. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to audition for the Philadelphia Eagles. Why not? Um, so at the end of my freshman year, I, I, became, I love how flippantly you said that. Yeah, yeah I was like, just you, like, yeah, you know, I was like, I'm just going to audition. You know, what's the worst? Thing can happen, you know, and so I became an Eagles cheerleader at the end of my freshman year of college. That was one of my like 15 jobs that I think I had mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the course of my four years in uh, in college, but it was pretty awesome. And um, I think that kind of also exemplifies you didn't want to uh, be in that place um, that when you were growing up, you wanted to, like you said, work 15 jobs or what have you, and you were frugal in the choice of your schools. Hopefully you leveraged some of those other schools' demand to say, hey, these guys are offering me this. How would you like to give me even more of a discount? Mm-hmm. Here? Um, and then you get out of school and you go into the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was that like for your family, given the nonprofit? By the way, my dad was a pastor, Um, Yeah, I completely relate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, my parents were always super, super supportive. They were always really proud of me. Um, You know, I think that everyone kind of expected that for me because I had always been so driven and so focused on working hard and earning money and being free. You know, I just never wanted to be limited by money. You know, I just feel like and you know what it is, Angus, more than anything. and, And I've been saying this since a very young age, and I still believe this to be true. There's a lot of things that happen in life that you can't control. 
You know, you can control if someone that you love passes away or gets hurt in a car accident or if you get a disease that, you know, was unexpected that comes out of nowhere or, you know, there's a lot of things that happen that you can't control. Right. And there's nothing you can do about that. But whether you are rich or poor or have money or don't have money in many ways touches on every area of your life. And that is something that we can control. And I realized that very early on, I was like, wait a second, like, this is a choice. Like, it was a choice for my dad to work for a nonprofit versus working, um, you know, in a corporate job and, and really being more focused on money. It was a choice for my mom to stay at home with us because, you know, she felt it was more important to raise us and, and give us the value system and be there for us than earning extra money. And I completely value that choice. My dad, uh, my husband now is a stay at home dad um, with my daughter. So, you know, I get the choices. Um, but, you know, for me, it was more than anything. I was like, Hey, you know, there's going to be things that I can't control. There's nothing I can do anything about. So why don't I at least do the best I can possibly do with the things that I can control that can at least make, um, you know, life a little bit more comfortable and enjoyable along the way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, oh, I didn't know your dad or your husband was a stay at home dad too. I love that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we I think he and I would get along fantastically. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Like he's just an amazing, incredible person. And he's a musician. So he's artistic and he's always doing fun stuff with Madison. And, you know, for us, it was it was a very uh, intentional choice. It's something that we talked about before we were, you know, even engaged or married Mm -hmm. that, you know, we we definitely never wanted to put, you know, our children into daycare. And so we kind of had planned for that, you know, before I even found out I was pregnant. We knew, you know, this was something that was going to be, you know, part of the way that we raised her. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, so, um, so you, we were talking about the one thing we have control over is being able to right. make money and have access to that. And I know there are people here, even listening to this radio, or you know, in the in the this I've said radio podcast show, and they heard that and cringed and said, you know, my situation where I'm at. I don't have control or I feel trapped or, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. That's one of the first components in your book. Yes. Yes. And I started with that. That's why I focus so much on that because I always tell people it's mindset before mechanics. Because, you know, when people join my programs, they come to me because they want to, you know, make a six or seven figure leap in their business. And, you know, they want those strategies. They're like, give me the magic bullet. Show me how, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I will show you how. But please understand that I can I can lay it all out for you. Like I can write it down on a piece of paper and hand it to you and say, do this and you will make that happen. But at the end of the day, most of the reason why you're not there, most of the reason why you're struggling financially, most of the reason why you're not in the relationship that you want, most of the reason why, you know, you're anything that you're dissatisfied in your life, most of the time comes down to mindset. And so I always tell people that's the very first thing to focus on if you want to change your circumstances in any area of life, not just business, but in any area of life. And so that's exactly why, you know, in my book, Unstoppable, why I start by the focus on mindset because of exactly what you said, Angus. And I know there's people listening right now saying, you know, but I've tried everything or I'm struggling or, you know, it's not my fault that this happened or that happened. You know, stuff happens. Stuff happens to all of us. You know, I write about it a lot in my book. I say, you know, life is chaos. Like, This is the human experience. There's no way to avoid those ups and downs and those curveballs and, you know, those unfortunate things that do come up. But 
at the end of the day, being wealthy is a decision. It is a choice. And, you know, you can read stories about so many people that are incredibly wealthy that came from nothing, you know, very similar to my story. I mean, we were practically at the poverty line. We, we, I mean, we were barely, barely um, able to pay the bills in our house. And that was the upbringing that I was accustomed to and the environment I grew up in. And I simply made a choice that it was going to be different for me. It, it was a choice. It was a decision. And that then led to actions. And those actions then led to the outcomes and the life that I now experience. I want to read just a quick little paragraph um, from your book, um, Unstoppable. And you said, your attitude toward yourself and others will play a make or break role in your ability to not just achieve high levels of success, but sustain it over the course of your lifetime. And then you go on to say, I encourage you to check in on your perceptions, judgments, thoughts, and feeling about yourself as well as those who have achieved what you would like to achieve. Mm -hmm. There is so much in that couple of sentences that is the difference between success and sabotage. Yes. Yes, and so I can speak much. to that, but I'm I'm gonna pass the baton to you and let you tell us about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I think number one, and I talk about this in the book at all as well, and there's a whole chapter dedicated to it, and it's called Stop Resenting the 1% and Join Them. You know, because there's been this kind of movement, this attitude, this negativity and and kind of bashing of the top 1% of earners. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, almost all, you know, self-made millionaires did it through their own business. They did it through bootstrapping. And, you know, most of the people that are in incredibly wealthy own their own business. So they basically got out there, they did the work, they decided to change their circumstances and they made it happen. And so, you know, it, it's first about, you know, checking yourself, like really like splashing some cold water in your face and looking in the mirror and saying, you know, am I, am I judging and criticizing and pushing away the very things that I say that I want? You know, if, if you have a negative attitude or a negative opinion of others that are where you want to be or have what you want to have, you're doing a really good job of making sure that you never get it. Really, you're doing a really good job of making sure you never get it. And, you know, and then on the flip side, you know, many times when people are struggling to achieve the outcome that they want, whether it's financially in a relationship, um, in your career, uh, whatever it is, it, it comes back to worthiness like self-worth, really, really valuing and loving yourself for who you are, all of your imperfections, you know, what you are and what you're not, the gifts that you were given, um, you know, and, and so I think it's so important to value ourselves and to realize that we were made exactly how we are and we were made who we are for a reason and that by tapping into our own unique you know, beings, our own unique self that's totally different from the person right next to you and the person right next to them um, and, and valuing and loving ourselves and being kind to ourselves. Um, I, I think we begin to lay the foundation then and only then for welcoming more into our lives. And that's why you hear me talk about gratitude on almost every single episode of Unstoppable Success Radio, because I believe the root of all success and the root of all abundance is gratitude. Come on. Well, well. Mm -hmm. I love it. So the person's listening right now and they're hearing you say that 
and they're questioning. And I want to put this to you. Are people born with an entrepreneurial spirit or can it, is it something that they can learn? Oh, I 100 believe, 100 percent believe it's something that's learned. I mean, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was until like my late twenties. Like, I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant. I never aspired to be a quote unquote entrepreneur, um, and I certainly don't think I had an entrepreneurial spirit um, early on. I think I was very, I was very much um, a corporate citizen, and I was, I was always a driver of the business, and I was always a hard worker, and and always. Um, set high goals for myself, but I certainly was not entrepreneurial, right? And entrepreneurial spirit is something that's cultivated. Um, it's a way of being that you can learn. Um, it's a way of being that comes over time and, and through a series of actions and mindsets and studying and, you know, really kind of, um, digesting a lot of content and, and learning about a lot of different areas. But no, I absolutely believe the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, of course, there's some people that were born that way that, that naturally have that inclination. But I think most people are probably more like myself where, you know, you don't necessarily start off with an abundance mindset. And with a challenging entrepreneurial spirit that pushes the envelope with everything. I think a lot more people um, go through ups and downs and um, land themselves in a place that they don't necessarily want to be. And then it's from that that they realize they want something different. And that's where then the entrepreneurial spirit has to kick in because ultimately to create that, you will have to develop an entrepreneurial spirit because just doing what the masses do and going along to get along is certainly not going to create anything extraordinary in your life, right? Yeah. And that just makes a decision. Then you wake up the next morning and you're an entrepreneur, right? I mean, it's that easy. It is that easy. It is that easy. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, building a business takes time. It takes patience. There's a lot of ups and downs and investment and blood and sweat and tears. But, you know, anyone. See, and I was setting you up for that. Uh, yeah. It's not just, you know, a flip of the switch. It's a flip of the switch in the head, but there's an element of the heart. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, but but anyone can wake up and say that they're going to pursue this path. Um, those that build wealth and build a business of significance and create an extraordinary life are the people that are in it to win it. They're in it for the long haul. And they understand that there's going to be a, a whole lot more failure before there's success. There's going to be a whole lot less freedom before there's more. And there's going to be a whole lot more money spent before there's money earned. And if you don't understand those three things, you might as well close up shop right away because you're not going to make it for the long haul as an entrepreneur. Oh, gosh. You you just laid that out so perfectly. Um, so let's kind of talk about, you know, that. And and I, gosh, I, I, I really struggle. So in this day and age, people are calling it the hustle. And I think that term has been thrown around so much that it's lost like, a lot of actual meaning to it. It's now it's just hustle is just exhaustion. It's just mm -hmm. go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. It's not strategic. It's not intentional. Right. Um, and I know for me myself, I'm where you were, you know, coming out of, of your company where I'm working a full-time job and I'm building my own business at the same time. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? That's getting up at 5 a.m., 5.20 a.m., letting the dog out, putting some coffee on, open up my laptop and dive into work. Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. taking a moment to take a breath, you know, meditate on some good stuff for a second, 
and about eight thirty, nine o'clock, roll into the day job. Yep. Day job gets over, grab a bite to eat with the kids, the wife, eight o'clock, jump on the phone with the uh, virtual assistant, strategize what needs to get done, get off the phone about nine, nine thirty. I go kiss my kids, my kids goodnight. I try and re- grab a book that I have to read for the next interview I'm doing on a podcast. And I'm in bed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do it all over again the next day. That's yep. what it takes. That's what it takes. To learn, to grow, to develop, etc. That's what it takes. And I think that the internet has so done people such a disservice and such a disjustice. I mean, I've been talking about this on a lot of interviews that I've been doing recently. And, you know, a lot of people may disagree with me, but you know what? There's a lot of people out there today, a lot of high level thought leaders that are perpetuating the message that, you know, you don't need to sell to run a successful business. You know, selling is icky and no one wants to sell and it's a bad word and, you know, this and that. Everything that you do to run a successful business is sales, your copy, your marketing, your graphics, you know, your conversations with clients, your webinars, your podcast interviews, every single thing that you do is sales. And exactly what you're talking about there, it's building a business, becoming an entrepreneur has been over simplified because of the internet, because people think that when they see someone's highlight reel that, you know, they, they woke up one day and said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and they set up their online cash machine and now they just press a button and they get paid. And then when people go and do that and nothing happens and it's not working for them, they think like, Oh, I guess I wasn't meant to be an entrepreneur. This won't work for me or, you know, whatever the case. So I, I think you, you know where I'm going with that, but I, I think it's really important. And I talk about this in the book. There's certain skills you will need to develop to become successful. So whatever level you're at in your business, in your life, in your career, whatever the case, if you want to get to the next level, you're going to have to do something different than what it took to get to the level that you're at currently, right? So like more is going to be required. Your job is to figure out what more is required. Like what does that look like? What skills are they? What resources are they? What partnerships are they? And and go out and get them. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's the hustle, you know, what you just said there. And, you know, I think a lot of times people are deterred from starting a business because they think their situation is so tough or they don't have time or, you know, those are the kinds of things, you know, they're working full time. And honestly, that's the reality of the world today. Like there is no perfect situation. There is no great time to start a business. There is no easy circumstance. You know what I mean? Like it's not clean and pretty for anyone mm-hmm. um, in this day and age. We all have so many responsibility with so much on our plate. Um, and it's so expensive to live that most people that start a business are going to start their business while they're working full time. And that's certainly not a reason to, to be deterred or to not um, go forward in following your dreams. And here I was thinking it was just going to be like unicorns and rainbows and gods, right. you know. Right. Yeah. Where's, where's that, that, that country club and the mannequins? You're not retired the on the parties. beach yet. Come on what? now. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. jumped into something, and and we're just going to fast forward because I had a number of questions. Um, the most fascinating part um, I found in the book, and as I said, as we first came on the call, you know, I didn't get a chance to read into it as much as I want. I'm probably going to have to read this thing through a few times because even in my own coaching practice, I think the way you articulated some of this, I'm just going to steal from you. I hope you're, you're cool with that. Go Um, for it. But the element of sales and then Mm -hmm. even more specifically, you redefine the term sales 
And then you even combine, which I completely agree with, um, that marketing and sales go hand in hand. And your redefining of sales, just to set you up, you talked about transferring inspiration to others to get them to move willingly in the direction of the goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is just embracing sales because um, it, it, it it's it's in the definition of a business, like to run a business, a sales transaction has to take place. And so that's why I'm so adamantly against this message that's being shared out there about the fact that you can build a business and not sell because it's in the definition itself. You will never, ever, ever build a successful business without selling. It requires sales to have a business, to actually have a business. There has to be an exchange of funds called a sale. So, you know, you cannot remove sales from from running a business. But yeah, absolutely. You know, it is all about serving. It's all about serving. It's about helping someone to achieve the transformation that they want to and giving them the courage and confidence to say yes in moving forward. That's all that it is. That's all that it is. And so if you focus on serving and you focus on presenting people with the opportunity to get the outcome that they already want, and then you show them what you have available that can help them get what they want, and then you give them the courage and the confidence to say yes and moving forward, you're going to make a whole lot of sales and you're going to have a whole lot of really happy customers. Yeah. And and I love how you just define that is you have to have a product worth buying. It's got to deliver on the promise. Right. And if you aren't convinced that it's going to deliver, then your sales tactics are going to be inauthentic and it, mm-hmm. people are going to read right through that. But if you deliver the goods and you're convinced of it and you have that conviction, well, then it should be pretty easy to make that transition. Okay. So, exactly. so let's back up here. So I'm going to put myself on, um, you know, kind of the, the surgeon's table here. I know for my business, I've spent the last, gosh, nine months with a podcast, building out a website. None of it's perfect. It's all about execution. I'm a recovering graphic artist. Um, so, you know, some of it looks pretty and some of it not so much. And I just had to make a choice just to execute, just to get things out the door. Mm-hmm. So that's one facet. I'm going to continue to iterate that. It's going to get better, cleaner, prettier, whatever. And now I'm transitioning from offering value, creating authority, asserting a place, you know, in the market, and now transitioning to building out the products according to feedback that I've received from people who, you know, like, want, or desire whatever it is that I'm, you know, have to offer. So the fear for someone who comes from the Midwest, um, for me coming through my first mindset was, like, is anyone going to like it? Is, am I going to be accepted? Or the flip side of it is I didn't want to be perceived as, you know, a douchebag. Like, oh, who does he think he is, right? Mm-hmm. And whenever you put yourself out there, you have to battle those thoughts. But now that you're actually out there and you gain the confidence and you realize the boogeyman isn't as scary as you thought he was going to be. Right, right. The confidence rises the curation of your own content, gifts, skills, and talents goes on the rise. So now your conviction to make the sale is going to be even better. So for me, I'm going to go put out a product. I'm going to put a premium price because I deliver a premium good. 
what happens when you first start and some of the sales tactics are you create scarcity, it's only good until this time at this price, and then the price is going to go up. Is that the way to start a business or come right out the gate that says, this is the way, you know, this is the price, this is what you're getting, let's, let's go for it? Yeah. So, you know, those are both two kind of different elements. So on one side of things, it's really important when you're first getting started that you are pricing at a premium because essentially almost everyone starts their business in some type of one-to-one capacity. And so at that point, charging a premium for what you do is critical because otherwise you'll never have um, enough leverage to be able to springboard into hiring your team and investing in advertising and building infrastructure and making all of the investments that will be necessary to scale your business. So on one hand, the premium pricing is really critical. And the way that you can get that is through, you know, positioning yourself and really focusing on the the quantifying of the bottom line value that you offer for people and the result that they get. I call it results-based selling. Um, and, you know, really demonstrating the results that you've been able to get for others through, you know, testimonials and success stories and, you know, case studies and all of that. Um, but at the same time, scarcity and a limited time quantity and, um, you know, bonuses that go away after a certain amount of time, all of those things are elements that are considered buying triggers. So when you go to start doing launches of products and programs and, you know, physical um, items, many times those tactics are going to successfully increase the sales that you get because people by nature are procrastinators. People by nature say, I'll get to that later. I'll do that next time. I'll do that in a week. And then they never do. And so that's why those those things work, because it actually creates an urgency to do it now versus I'll do it later. And then people forget about it. So, you know, on one side, I think that initially when you're in cash flow mode, if you're at $100,000 or less, you know, it, it's going to be much more important that you do a great job of positioning yourself to make a premium sale, which is many times going to be one-on-one through a a phone conversation or an in-person meeting um, and that you really charge the maximum that you possibly can for that. On the flip side, as you grow and scale your business and you want to do more leveraged activities, that's where bringing in those components of scarcity and urgency and limited time quantities and bonuses, that's when those things become important and you're able to do that because you're selling one to many. Does Does that answer your question? I, I, no, I, I, yeah, yes and no. Um, I'm fascinated because I think these are some of the things that kind of a show what you do, and then b like I know listeners here and my friends and family here are you know just drinking this up. So let's 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 dive into that a little bit more if you'd be so kind. Sure. Um, so someone's looking at that whole sales process. It is intimidating. Like, where do the, where do, where do I start? What tools do I use? What products do I build? You identified it really well. Typically, when you start off one to one model in a service basis to, you know, I'm guilty as charged. Yeah. I'm going to be doing more coaching. Absolutely. I do coaching during my day job all the time. So now I'm transitioning that into coaching for myself, for my own company. It's an easy switch. The other part of it is then creating the one-to-many models where I'm building ebooks and e-learning courses and all that's being developed. So there's a lot of work on the front end. You've made the mindset to you know, lean forward into this. You've made the choices 
to sacrifice time and money to invest in it. So then how does somebody walk into the tools aspect of it with clarity? Yeah, great. So, you know, a good rule of thumb is to always ask yourself, what is the simplest way to go about achieving your desired outcome? Many times, one of the biggest things that I find is holding my customers back from achieving their goals is that they are trying to do too much. They are trying to add too many layers and too many complexities to their path. Um, and, and because of that, they're making far less sales than they want to. So in the beginning, um, the best thing you can possibly do is pick, you know, three or four different ways to do lead generation and to start building your list. And then basically, once you get people on your list, offer engaging content and different ways for your audience to get to know you. That might be through webinars or it might be live streaming or audios or podcasts or, you know, any type of really killer content that, you know, um, directly correlates with why they joined your list. And then finally, you want to drive them to a consultation with you. So the fastest, easiest, simplest way to sell when you're under the 100K mark is going to be through that phone consultation. So, you know, you really don't need anything um, to set that up besides maybe a scheduling tool, you know, a scheduling tool that you can send someone where they can select times that are available on your calendar. So they get an automated follow up sequence. They know where to dial in when and all that good stuff. But honestly, the simpler, the better. You know, you don't need sales pages and funnels and all those other things that um, you need once you get into the one-to-many model and you're looking to scale. And, you know, too many times people jump ahead of where they are and try to focus on the one-to-many model when they don't yet have the one-to-one built up enough to be profitable enough to leverage and springboard into the one-to-many. And that's how people get themselves in trouble. Because to springboard into one-to-many, like, for example, it I probably spend $4,000 a month just on technology, just on different programs Mm -hmm. that support the online membership sites and the programs that I'm running and the courses that I'm selling and the funnels and, and the email marketing system and the plugins. So, you know, don't spend money on things that you don't need that are ahead of the stage that you're in. And so the key thing there is you want to build that one-to-one up to at least the 100K mark, at least, like that's minimum, 100K mark. Um, and, and then once you're there, that's a great time to really focus on leverage and scale and transitioning into the one-to-many because to support the one-to-many, you're going to need a lot of outside help. You're going to need support with setting up the technology. You're going to need a lot of resources. You're going to need a lot of online different online assets, different online programs. You're going to need graphic design and you're going to need a team to support you. So you have to understand kind of what comes with that and and focus first on getting really, really good at that really simple one-to-one model, which is so beautiful because it's so profitable and it's so clean and simple. And then once you have that down and it's working beautifully and you can see that you have that gap there that can support the resources and the infrastructure that you'll need for one to many, that's the time to really springboard into that, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it totally makes sense. And you did all this by yourself, right? What do you mean? Like you just read a bunch of books and then you just kept doing it. You didn't get any outside help. 
Oh my God, you have no idea how much. You have no idea. I keep trying to set you up. Come on. Oh my God, you have no idea. I mean, coaches and consultants and, you know, online courses. I think I have my team in four different online courses right now. Um, online programs with different mentors. And yeah, I mean, no one person can have all of this in their brain. And not only that, but everything changes so fast that if you want to run an online business, if you're not constantly upgrading your skill set, and innovating and and keeping up with the technology, you're you're not going to be able to compete. You're not going to be able to win in this market and in this climate. And so if you're listening, this is why we say never be afraid to ask for help. It starts with just everyday issues. And as you grow or if you're building a business, asking for help in any form or fashion, being humble, being open, being transparent, being afraid of being wrong, or excuse me, being open to being wrong. I mean, these are the things that every great entrepreneur has had to embrace. Every great athlete, anyone who's trained for anything physically, mentally, has had to get coaching, training, um, a team around them, uh, cheerleaders <laughs> in a different form, maybe not without the pom-poms. But all of us have to ask for help. So Kelly, as we kind of bring this in for a landing, on that same vein, every step of the way throughout your success, what have been some of the limiting beliefs you've had to break through? And what were some of the areas where you needed to ask for help when things didn't go right? Sure. Well, I think I've asked for help in every possible form, fashion, and area you could possibly think of. So I in no way, shape, or form even begin to, um, you know, try to uh, present that I knew any of this when I got started. You know what I mean? Like my background was in sales and marketing, but I did that traditionally business to business. So I had to get help in learning every single facet of online marketing, A to Z. And so, you know, one thing I'll add to everything you just said there, Angus, is that it's really important that you're also prepared to invest in your success. Too many people say, I will get help when. I will hire a coach when. I will hire an assistant when. And guess what? When never happens. Mm -hmm. Because if you wait until when and then try to work backwards from there, it doesn't work like that. The thing that actually gets you to that level is by making that investment. So be prepared to invest from day one and you're going to guarantee your success and you're going to be able to use that as a stepping stone to get to the next level. So yeah, I mean, I've gotten help in, in every single area um, of my business, absolutely. And without the help that I had gotten, I would, I would never be where I am today. Um, and then in terms of limiting beliefs, I mean, we all have limiting beliefs. I mean, I think for me, um, I had limiting beliefs at first about how much I needed to charge to earn the level of income that I wanted to. I think I had limiting beliefs. You know, I, like you, started my business when I was working full time. So I think in the beginning, I had a little bit of almost a victim mentality of like, oh, well, it's way harder for me because, you know, they get to do it full time and I don't, you know, I think we all have, we all have that head trash going on, but you just have to have a a growth oriented mindset and realize that until you take those things that you're pretending are holding you back and turn them into strengths, um, in accomplishing your goals, you're going to stay right where you are and you're going to struggle and you're probably going to end up giving up because you're not going to really progress towards your goal until you let go of those things. I just told my wife, 
I said, you know, when that day comes, you know, whether it's six months or it's six years that I roll off of having a full-time job in addition to all of this, I said, I'm concerned that I won't be as productive because when you have those small windows, it's amazing Mm -hmm. how you get things done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the difference between talking to some, you know, 20 year old kid who's playing video games and stuff. And he's like, I never have any time. My daughter, who's 21, I just can't. I don't have any time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you have you have no idea. Yeah, you have no you have idea, all the time right? In the world, you crazy yeah. kid. Yeah, so true. All right. So thank you, thank you, Kelly, so much for just value bomb after value bomb. If people want to get a hold of you, chase you down, and learn from all that is Kelly, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I think if you're someone that is looking to start or grow a business, I think automation and systems are really at the center of that. And I think that it's really important that you learn how to leverage your time, whether you're, you know, working full time and trying to start a side business or you're in business now and you're trying to figure out how to grow faster and go further more quickly. And so the best first step that people can take is to download my free report. It's called Automation Secrets. And they can get that by going to automation-secrets.com. That's automation-secrets.com. Or they can text in automate report to 44222. And besides that, I'm, you know, on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm around the internet world. So come find me. I would love to hear from you guys. Fantastic. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I want to thank Kelly for joining us today. She's got a wealth of wisdom to offer, and I highly recommend you pick up her book, Unstoppable. It's a great read. Now, Kelly talked about the concept of mindset before mechanics on the show, and that obviously became the title that I used, because I believe mindset is so critical, as we uh, shared. And last week, uh, Scott Monty talked to us about the fear of success, also related to mindset. If you missed that, I highly recommend you go and check it out. At the end of the show, I also gave some of my own thoughts. It's episode 44044. Along the same lines, we have to understand that how I see myself and uh, what I have to offer is a core factor to my success. And if I look into the mirror and I don't like that person staring back at me, if I don't like what I see, it's highly likely I'll sabotage every great and wonderful opportunity placed before me. Because if you follow the line of the continuum that's there, you know, for me not liking myself, down that line says and states that why should anyone else like me either? And if you continue down that line of continuum all the way to the end, it's like, why should even the creator of the universe even like me? It is ultimately a debilitating mindset. And since our mind always seeks equilibrium with our experience, I'm going to subconsciously create chaos the kind of chaos that's necessary to destroy the relationships and therefore validate my own beliefs. And that's why I created this show. I wanted to help you get over these limiting beliefs and move you towards living 
a more effective self, your most effective self. Now, that's really deep, and I probably need to do a whole show on that, and uh, I probably will. <laughs> Not probably. I'll do a whole, sh- whole show on that, that whole concept. So if you have questions about this um, and you want to help me actually craft some of the content that's for that, I would really appreciate if you come and find me on Twitter. I'm at Angus Nelson. Please reach out. Ask me any questions about today's show or uh, that whole concept uh, that we just started talking about regarding our mindset. I would love to hear from you. If you're looking for any of the links, the show notes for this episode, you want to know about the book or the uh, free gift that she wanted to offer, you can find those at angusnelson.com forward slash zero four five. And I'd also like you to um, join our private Facebook group. I really encourage you to do that. Uh, Simply type up in your business private group into your Facebook search bar and you'll see it come up there. Go ahead and request entry and I'll be glad you get into the community or I'll, excuse me, I'll make sure that you get into the community. And other than that, thanks so much for joining us. I know your time is precious. You've got lots of other things going on. Um, yeah, thanks so much to being a part of this whole journey. I'm your host, Angus Nelson, go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give is a referral to someone else, either by telling them in person or sharing it on the web. Keep taking your business up by getting up in your business. Live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. Be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com.